exciting. Now that was out of the way, why don't you open up your Bible to uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah's kind of right in the middle of the Bible. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. And Isaiah is um, a book about prophecy. It's a prophetic book um, written in a very dark time in the history of Israel. I'm going to give you a second there to turn there. And I'd like for you to look up at me right after you're done flipping there. It's a dark time in the history of Israel. And like many of the prophets before and many of the prophets after Isaiah, they are trying to communicate one thing to the people of God, one thing to the Israelites, and that is repent, turn to the Lord so that you may be blessed and you will be a blessing to others. And if you look at the grand scheme of history, if you look at the grand scheme of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see one common thing throughout it, and that God is desiring to dwell with his people. Genesis chapter 11, right in the very beginning, early on in the story, God makes a covenant with a man named Abram who would become Abraham. And he says, I want to dwell with you. Follow me so you will be my people. I will be with you. You will be a blessed nation and you will go out and bless other people. And this whole idea of God with us begins right then. God with us. Even though there's a separation we see in Genesis 3, there's a sin problem. There's something that separates us. There is now this desire, and God is on this mission to dwell with his people. And the problem is, oftentimes, that nation of Israel, God is bringing them up, and he is blessing them, even despite their sin. And oftentimes, the, the prophets are saying and communicating one thing, repent and turn. Turn so that you will be blessed, and you will avoid being uh, cursed by your own sinfulness. And most of the time, they don't listen. And this is written in a dark period in the history of Israel. You see, Isaiah is communicating this one thing, repent and turn, but they are heading towards extreme darkness. They're heading towards what we call the exile, a time where uh, the people of God were taken out of Jerusalem and they were taken captive in Babylon. It is a consequence of their sin. But even in the midst of this, the first few chapters of Isaiah are interesting. It's, you know, it's a double-edged sword here. One of it is... A, a call towards the inevitable destruction that's going to face Israel because they have not turned. But there is also an underlying theme of hope. There is a back and forth between warnings of detriment and destructions and promises of hope that goes back and forth, back and forth. And here in chapter 9, we see light shine through in darkness. We see light, the promise of light, shine through in the midst of the darkness, though despite there being destruction of head, despite there being hard times to come, and despite there being the consequences of sin, there is going to be hope for you, people of God. There will be hope for you after the exile, in the exile, in the good and in the bad. There will be light in the darkness. For the next two weeks, we're going to talk about that light the light that would shine in the darkness. And it's actually the story of Christmas. It's the story of Christmas. It's the story of Jesus, Emmanuel, meaning God with us, actually being with us on earth for a short amount of time in the form of a baby, as a child, as he grew up and he walked and he lived like us in many ways. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with 
Uh, so when I think of Christmas, I think of like flannel graphs. So I've mentioned flannel graphs many times. I found one in our building. Uh, and the story of Christmas kind of, it, it reminds me of a flannel graph, right? Okay, so uh, it starts out in a manger. Uh, and so you need your kind of animals, right, of course. There's a little lamb. And uh, there's pigs as well, kind of, you know, around doing pig things. And there's another animal. There was a dinosaur in the flannel graph, and I was like, I want to put that in so badly and see if people actually think that's a thing. It's not. I left the dinosaur out. But, uh, okay, so here it is. And then also, at the very center of this, we have, uh, we have Mary. Let's just say this is Mary. Again, I'm not a flannel graph expert. I don't know if all these characters are correct. And then this is Joseph, right? They're, they're largely disproportionate to the size of the sheep. That's fine. And um, we have wise men joining, right, which is not accurate. And so we just throw that one away because they weren't actually there. They were there like two or whatever years later, I think. And then right in the center of it is baby Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes. Not accurate as well. Um, but here it is, right? This is what we think of when we think of the story of Christmas. And, and you and I, we live in a culture where like this is sometimes on display, right? You might see it like kind of in a decorative piece. But more often than not, this is kind of swept to the side. And we celebrate things like friendship and unity and uh, service. And, and we, kind of, uh, we kind of breeze over the fact of Christmas being a time to celebrate Jesus. And one of the main things we celebrate is gifts, giving gifts to one another. How many of you have gotten a gift for a Christmas that you were just like, yes, my life is 10 times, a million times better right now, right? Who's been there, right? Who's been there where they're like, yes, Christmas, this happens. For me, I got a Wii, right, when it first came out, and it blew my mind. I didn't know that I was going to get it, and I saw it, and I was like, no, I can play bowling on the TV with this thing. Ah, it's going to be so fun, right? And then when I was 13, I got a cell phone for Christmas, right, which my parents were like, you're not going to get a cell phone ever. And then the, like, under the tree, there it is. And I could, you know, call like this, and then I could flip it open like this and text like this. It was awesome. The NV3, the Verizon NV3, it was awesome, right? It was a cool one. And so we think of those things. We're like, yes, gifts, they're awesome, they're exciting. Now, how many of you have gotten a gift that you weren't expecting? Okay. How many of you have gotten a gift that you weren't expecting and you were super disappointed? Your grandma's like, I made you this sweater, and you're like, thank you, Meemaw. That's very nice of you, right? All right, we've all been there. Just me? No, okay, that's fine. Um, and then how many of you have gotten a present that you're like, I didn't know I wanted this, but I am now so glad that I have this, right? It's such a special time of the year to give gifts to one another. And as we celebrate Christmas as the time of Jesus uh, joins us in the story of humanity, Jesus is made into the flesh, we recognize that for hundreds of years, people were looking for God with us. People were looking for Emmanuel. And they would receive the gift of Emmanuel, but it wasn't the gift that they thought they needed. It actually wasn't the gift that they were expecting. You see, for many years, the people of Israel probably were thinking of the time of where they wanted a gift. They wanted this Messiah. They wanted this God with us. And they're like, okay, we need a warrior this is, I think, Goliath, but don't say anything. Um, we need a warrior. We need a king. We need someone who's going to conquer our enemies, right? He's holding the sword. Cool. Um, we need someone who's going to conquer our enemies. We need someone to bring wealth and prosperity back to our broken nation. 
We need somebody who's going to bring strength and resolve and who's going to lead us and guide us. Someone who will defeat our political enemies, our actual enemies. We need somebody to come and bring strength and bring light to the darkness. That was the gift they were looking for. But what they got was the gift that they actually needed. And it's the gift that you and I need as well. The promised Messiah wasn't going to come as a conquering king. He wasn't going to come with lights and fanfare, not yet at least. He was not going to appear like this. He was going to appear in the most humble act in the history of humanity other than the crucifixion. And that would be the coming of Christ as a baby in a town of Bethlehem. And that is the Messiah that we worship and we sing to. <clears throat> so, Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read this for you as we picture this. The gift that they didn't uh, think that they wanted, the gift that they didn't know that they needed, is the gift that was promised to them and the gift that is promised to us today. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through uh, 7 say this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot that was... Uh, the trampling warrior in the battle of Tolmet, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And what is his name? And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, for the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the king that was promised. This is the king that was going to bring light to the darkness. This is the one that we sing. This is Jesus. This is professing of Jesus. And Isaiah is here. He's speaking. He's prof professing. He's heralding the words of God to the people to repent and to turn. But he shows in this moment a beautiful light, a beautiful promise, a beautiful promise of a king that would come and who would bring peace and order to all things. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light is shown. And continuing on in 3 and 4, we just read there is destruction to the things that were made to destroy, right? There is this idea of uh, garments that are rolled in blood, the boots of the warriors, these things that are meant to destroy. They are thrown into the fire as the light is shown in the darkness. This is prophesying about Jesus. This is the first point I want us to get tonight. The light of the world ends all darkness. The light of the world ends all darkness. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of a super dark room. I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a situation where you found yourself in the like complete pitch black, but it's very disorienting. I don't know if you've ever been uh, spelunking is the right word for it, which is just exploring caves and stuff. Um, I went with my friends once, and we all turned off our, like, headlamps at the same time, and I'm telling you, 
it was so wild. You've never experienced a darkness like that, right? You can't see your hand in front of your face. You know, when I think of darkness, sometimes I think of the game. Has anyone heard of it? It's called Live Action Mafia. Yeah, some people have many different names for it. Uh, but basically, it's this idea. You're with a group of people. There's like one murderer in the crowd, right? And then you shut off all the lights. And like the one guy has to go around like killing everyone. And then has, does everyone know what this game is? Some people do. So this game is crazy because it's played in the complete pitch black. And if you've ever played it, you know how disorienting and weird it is to walk around and you don't know where things are, right? And, and you look and you're like, surely there's not like a wall in front of me. And then you like hit the wall and you're like, that hurt. And like, surely there's no stairs and you like fall down the stairs. And then like, surely there's not a murder and then you get murdered by this guy, right? All in this game. And it's disorienting, right? And if you've ever been in a situation where it's completely dark, you don't know where's up, where's down. You don't know what is true, what's false. You don't have any guidance or direction. And this is where the people of Israel are found in this specific moment in time. And more so than that, this is where you and I once walked. This is where you and I used to uh, be before we found Jesus the Messiah. We used to be in a situation where we were walking in darkness, not having the correct uh, truth, not having the correct uh, concordance or the correct guidance to get from one place to another. And all of a sudden, that would change. It would change for the people who put their faith in the Messiah, and it would change for you and me when we find Jesus. The people who walked in darkness have seen a light, and those who dwelled in the land of darkness, on them a light has shone. This is before some of the darkest periods in the history of Israel, right? This is before the exile. And so he is speaking in the past tense to a future event, right? It's this poetic thing that happens. It's to symbolize this kind of covering of, of the Messiah's blood over all time of all people who put their faith in him, right? And this is professing this truth that the light of the world will destroy all darkness, it's universally true to everyone who has known the Messiah, to everyone who has seen Jesus, to everyone who has put their faith in Jesus. These words would transcend uh, just the nation of Israel. This isn't for a people group. This isn't for uh, a specific nation or specific group of people. No, the light of the world is for all people. The light of the world is Jesus, and he is for all people. This is about uh, healing sin that is broken. So many people, while they were looking for this king, while they were, you know, walking and stumbling in darkness, were expecting some sort of uh, ruler to come and to make all things right, right? To heal what they had seen was broken. But what many times you and I don't realize is the serious problem, the real problem in our hearts is the reality of sin and the separation from God. There's a sin that exists. There's sin once we are born. When we are uh, born into this world, we've walked in darkness. And Jesus came not to overthrow a political party, not to usher in some sort of earthly kingdom, but to be a conqueror over sin and death, to make a mockery of sin through death, right, Colossians says, to make fun of the reality of death because he conquered it once and for all. And this is what this passage is saying. So why are they rejoicing? Why, why are these people glad? Why have they, look at verse three, it says, you've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy with the harvest. So this is, it's this idea of abundance. 
There's this rejoicing happening because they are looking at this abundance of the harvest and there's just so much stuff that they now have, so much sustenance. And they are joyful because they know the truth and they see that this truth, that this light has destroyed all darkness. It has destroyed what? The burden, the yoke. It's this idea of something weighing down on you, something that is, uh, you're toiling with this. You are, uh, it's heavy, it's a burden. The rod of his oppressor, this idea of being captive and not being able to control uh, yourself because you're under some sort of, uh, you know, you're under some sort of oppression. The people are rejoicing because those things are leaving. And they could have looked to, uh, you know, the, the enemies at the time, they could have looked to their time in Babylon and say, see, this is what we're going to be saved from. And while the Lord does redeem Israel in the sense, so while the Lord does still shine in the darkness, this is speaking to the reality of sin, the yoke of sin, the oppression of sin, the pain that sin causes us. We get to rejoice if you know Jesus because he has taken those things away, because he has ripped those things out. He has shown us the truth, and now we walk in the truth. The light of the world ends all darkness. Verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. And so that's where you are found if you're a Christian. If you know Jesus, then you know the light. If you know Jesus, you know truth. If you know Jesus, you know the very embodiment of life, truth, and love. And so oftentimes we look at these things, we look at these passages... And sometimes it's hard for us to correctly perceive them or correctly believe them. If you know Jesus, you have the light of the world. When life seems to knock you down, when situations come up, when problems are difficult, when life is hard, do you look towards the light? Do you look towards Jesus as the person who not only has saved you, but he is the one who sustains you? Do you look towards him? Do you look to him? Don't forget the light. Don't forget about the one who showed you truth in the midst of pain and darkness. When the darkness seems to win in your life, when the news of the divorce comes, when that friend stabs you in the back, when that relationship is over, do not forget the one who has sustained you, the one who has shown the light in the darkness. When tough things happen, when hard things happen like this, when you're shaken by the world, inevitably as we are, are you shaken a little bit more than you think that you should be? When storms in this life come, are you just like completely knocked over and you're like, I, I feel like I'm back in the darkness. I feel like I'm back before. I feel like I'm completely lost again. Do not lose sight of what this is saying. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He's talking about Jesus, talking about God rescuing and redeeming the world. Don't forget about this. Things are hard when things are difficult. Remember the light in the darkness. So what is this light going to look like? We've already talked about it a little bit, but what is this light going to look like? What is this person who is going to remove the yoke and the burden and the oppression, the one who is going to trample over the things that destroyed us in the past? What is he going to be like? What is he going to look like? Verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born. To us a child is born. Many of us read that line. Many of us hear that line. 
And it's so funny, and this happens to me, and this is like just me admitting, I know I memorized that line, but I didn't know the line before it, right? For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle of Tolmod, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's this intense verse that's talking about destroying destruction. And the solution to that is verse 6, for to us a child is born. Not exactly like a warrior type. Not exactly super fierce, not exactly showy. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The promised king rules forever. The promised king rules forever. That's our next point. The promised king will rule for all time. What would he look like? He would look like a baby, a child in a manger. The one who would conquer all sin and death would enter the world in the most humble form humanly possible. Born in a manger. Born in a manger where he wouldn't even have space to stay or to dwell. He was outside with animals. This Messiah will what? Take the throne of David. It says this, verse 7. There will be no end of his rulership, right? The throne of David and over his Kingdom In the book of Samuel, it's promised that there will be an heir to David's throne that will reign forever. We talked about this at summer camp if you were there, right? It's this idea of the everlasting kingdom, and there will be an everlasting king who will rule on it. And here it is again. There will be no end to this rule and on the throne of David and over his kingdom. This king will reign forever. This promised king will reign forever. And at Advent, we celebrate the time where he came in the form of a child the form of a baby. I want to read for you something. It's in Luke chapter 1, and it speaks to this idea, and it's this story, right? So this is hundreds of years in the future, and an angel visits Mary, and it says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth for, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor in the eyes of God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most. Hi, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. It's all connected, right? There will be someone who reigns on the throne of David. Jesus keeps his promises, right? God keeps his promises. Every word that has come in this prophecy came to pass through Jesus. The promised king will rule forever. That's what is being promised here. And though so many people didn't see it and continue to not see it, you have the opportunity to know this king. 
We'll read next week and we'll see the, the rest of the story. But Jesus is born. He's in a manger. He lives a perfect life, the son of God, perfect life. And he dies on a cross and rises again for our sins. And if you know this king, then you will be a part of his kingdom. And in because of his righteousness, you will never see death. You will never see the end of this kingdom. That's who Jesus is. So that's who he is. This is the promise that we have as Christians. It's a reason to celebrate. It's a reason to rejoice. And it's a reason to think if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't put your faith in him, if you haven't uh, made him your personal Lord and Savior, if you don't know him personally, it's a reason to think. It's something to ponder. It's something to wonder in your life if you need to be saved. I would say, yes, you absolutely do. But for us who know Jesus and who call him our Savior, this is what we also get to call him. Here it says this in verse 6. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Let's talk about these things. Number one, wonderful. The Messiah Jesus always satisfies. This Messiah Jesus will always satisfy. You need nothing else when you embrace him by faith. You need nothing else when you embrace him by faith. You will never have to ask, what's next for me? What else do I need? You will never have to ask, what else do I need in this life? Jesus plus what? You have everything. He is wonderful. The Messiah Jesus always satisfies. Counselor, the Messiah Jesus is wise. The Messiah Jesus is the wisest man to have ever walked on the face of this earth. So I'd listen to him if you have the opportunity right? Like I'd read about him. He's the wisest man who's ever lived. So that is why we call him counselor. Mighty God, the Messiah Jesus is the immovable God. He can't be separated from his divinity. And many people will tell you, well, he was just a prophet. He was a good guy. He spoke about God. No, he cannot be separated from his divinity. He is God. The promise is that he will not just be a person who helps, helps God, or he's not just a person who uh, speaks for God. No, he is mighty God. So mighty God, Jesus the Messiah, is immovable. He's unshaken. There will never be a situation that arises that Jesus would look at in your life. There's not a situation in your life that Jesus would look at and think, man, that seems pretty scary. Did not see that coming. We'll figure this out, but I don't know how. There's never going to be a wave in your life of a storm that crashes into Jesus and he falls over. He loses his footing. It's not possible. He's the mighty God. It's the idea of being immovable and strong. He's the Prince of Peace, it also says here. The Messiah Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. He's the ultimate peacemaker. He made peace through the blood of his cross, Colossians 1 says. He made a mockery out of death. Though you and I were once on the side of the enemy, we were once on the side of the side that would make war and rage war and be at war with our sinfulness, we have been invited into the camp of the Prince of Peace. We have been invited to embrace the ultimate peacemaker. He frees us from the battle of sin and death and he gives us peace. More than that, ultimate peace, we see that, but he also calms our hearts and our souls when we experience emotional, physical, spiritual darkness in our lives. He is the embodiment of peace. That's who he is. This is the promised light this is who he is, everlasting father, prince of peace, 
wonderful counselor, mighty God. Do you know him? Have you seen him? Or maybe not physically on earth, I don't think. Do you know him personally? Have you seen this light? Was it someone who told you about him and you recognized in your heart, I need this savior. I need Jesus in my life. He's here, he's ready, he's available. He loves you, he cares for you. And there's so many times in life where we think that, you know, in the darkness and in, in, the, in the work of the enemy that is happening right before our eyes, there's no way God can be moving. There's no way God could be working. And there's no way that God can redeem or rescue me from the sin that I've committed. I'm already too far gone. I'm already too far down this rabbit hole. Look at what verse 7 says. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Right? It's kind of interesting language here. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. Jesus' rule and Jesus' peace are not separated. The rule of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and the peace of Jesus are connected in this verse. You can't separate them. They're not separated, and they are both increasing. Jesus' rule and his peace are never going to stop. They're spreading like, it's spreading like wildfire, and it is not slowing down any time soon. Of the increase of his government, right, his rule, his kingship, and of peace, there will be no end. That's something that you can say when you feel like you're in darkness. Jesus' peace and his authority will not end. The Bible says it, I believe it. Jesus' authority and his peace will not end. Do you believe that? He loves you. He cares for you. It's so interesting. So interesting that these two things are, are right next to each other in the text because so many times in life, People want the peace that Jesus promises, but they're not ready to accept his kingship. And you can't have one without the other. You, you can't say, Jesus, I want your peace, but I'm not going to submit to your kingship or your governments or your rule. We can have the peace of God when we embrace the authority of God. We can have the peace that Jesus provides if we embrace his authority, if we embrace his kingship. When we 100% submit to God's rule, we will experience 100% peace. And the reality is we're not perfect and we can't submit 100%. But when we do, when we come to him in faith and we say, I have nothing, Jesus, you are everything. I need to submit to you. We will experience his peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a resounding story of peace in the darkness. As people, these people, were hardened in their hearts, they were lost, they still had this hope. Though many of them didn't listen, you and I live in the opportunity and the space where we can we know that maybe we have been hardened our hearts in the past, but the Lord has made a way. He has made it possible. His throne continues on. His throne will never end. So have you trusted in this Messiah? Have you found perfect rule and perfect peace from Jesus? And if you have, 
I'm so thankful for that. I'm so happy for that. And I believe a lot of people in this room have. Are you looking to him every day? Are you looking to this light every single day of your life? Are you waking up in the morning wanting to spend time with the Prince of Peace? Are you waking up every morning submitting to God's rule by submitting to his word and experiencing peace? Do you go to him when life is crazy as your wise counselor, as your friend? Do you hold on to him in the midst of the storm as your mighty God? This is the light. This is the light in the darkness. That's the one we celebrate. Predicting his rulership and his coming hundreds of years, this is what Isaiah says to us. For us, a child is born. Do you know him? Do you know that child? He would grow. He would become the perfect. He is perfect, right? He was born perfect. He would, uh, he would go around. He would do miracles. He would speak about the kingdom of God. He was killed unjustly, but he rises from the dead. Do you know him? Have you embraced him in faith? The same Jesus that called you out of darkness is the uh, one who lights your way every single day, right? So the people who know Jesus, who've embraced him with faith, are you continuing to look towards him as the one who sustains your life? Because the same grace and the same person that saved you is the same grace and the same one that sustains you. The one who showed truth and light in the ultimate darkness and confusion is the one who is going to bring you truth and light throughout situations and difficulties in our life. He's always the one guiding us. He's always the one directing you. Are you looking to him as the ultimate light in your life? Or have you decided to ignore it? Have you decided to forget it? Have you decided to choose a dimmer, ultimately dying, dwindling light that is not going to lead you to the right spot? Are you embracing this every day? Are you looking to him? Turn and look at him every single day. As Christians, we get to celebrate this truth uniquely at Christmas time. We get to look at Christmas through a different light than the rest of the world. Sure, we can eat good food and watch the same movies, but we get to have a worshipful experience when we celebrate Christmas. When we look at the history of our lives and think, man, I was in darkness, but then I met Jesus. We get to remember that that Jesus stepped down from his throne, right? He didn't lose his authority, but he stepped out of heaven to be with us, humbly in a manger. That's the king that we look towards. That's the one who has conquered sin and death and the grave. This Christmas season, the next 24 days from now, I want you to look at this season differently. I want you to think about Jesus more clearly as you look at the Christmas decorations, as you look at the lights. I want you to know what it is about. It is about the Messiah. It is about the king who came to serve and not to rule with an iron fist. It's the king that came to love and to speak truth and who would be rejected by many. Let's worship him deeply this season as we celebrate our light in the darkness, our Jesus, the light and the hope of the world. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the truths that are presented in Isaiah 9. I pray that we would... If we know you and we're with you, I pray that we would look to you every day 
as the one who sustains us, as the one who uh, has saved us and the one who's going to bring us through our difficult seasons. And God, I pray for the person in the room who uh, hasn't embraced you with faith. I pray that they would think and that they would be drawn towards you. God, I pray that if someone needs to have a conversation with someone, if somebody is confused, if they want to know more about you, that they would be bold enough to do that. Thank you that you're always working and you're always moving. Help us to sing. Help us to worship in a way that is, uh, that is true, right? To worship in a way that uh, gives you honor and glory. To look at this season, not just as a time to take time off of school or to hang out with friends more, but as a time to be thankful for the sacrifice you made. To be thankful for the reality that you stepped onto this earth to serve. Help us to be grateful for that, Lord. Thank you for the light in the darkness. Thank you that it shines today, that it shines yesterday, that it shines for all eternity. We love you, Lord. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.